Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So, Patience, you hear Doug Ford talk Patois this week? Ta on uh, your yard? Yeah. You idiot thing, that. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And remember, y'all, subscribe. On this week's episode, we want to discuss some of the top headlines from the week of January 24th, including... All MPs voting to add the Proud Boys to Canada's terror list. The Feds building a new process to hire more Black public servants. GameStop, Main Street beating Wall Street at its own game. We lost a good one this week. Rest in paradise, Cicely Tyson. Black folks getting deported from Bali... And Biden curbs private prison contracts to stem racial injustice. And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment, keeping tabs on what's been going on with the Proud Boys here in Canada. Last week, MPs voted unanimously in favor of NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's call to use all available resources to fight the expansion of hate groups, starting with putting the Proud Boys on our terror list with the quickness. The decision now rests with Minister Bill Blair, who says, quote, to be clear, the decision to list any organization as a terrorist group is based on intelligence and evidence, not politics, end quote. Well, good to know, Bill, because there's pretty damn good evidence for you to sink your teeth into. Wouldn't you agree, Patience? Yeah, hell yeah. The interesting thing here is some security experts are saying they're concerned about the politicization of the terror list. Leo West, a former Department of Justice lawyer and now a national security professor at Carleton, says, quote, what we're seeing is a call for the government to engage in a legal process and with a predetermined outcome, end quote. Yes, Leia, because we're talking about the Proud Boys, (laughs) you know, know, with their white supremacy and anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and misogyny. You might have heard of them. Anyway, maybe I'm being unfair to her considering her rationale. She says, quote, there's nothing to stop a similar type of motion being used on indigenous or environmental or for that matter, Black Lives Matter protesters. Another person appearing to be disconnected from reality, Jessica Davis, a former senior intelligence analyst with CSIS, which for those who don't know, is basically our version of the CIA, agreed saying, quote, the motion is meant, I guess, to put pressure on the government to list a group, but we don't even know yet if the group meets a technical threshold, end quote. Right. Speaking for basically all BIPOC women and LGBTQ plus people, the NDP said, quote, the rise of white supremacy and neo-Nazis is an underestimated threat in Canada and people are scared. Canadians don't want to see what happened in the U.S. happen here in Canada. We need actions and we need them now, end quote. 
Thoughts on this, Patience? I couldn't have said it better myself. Like, how are you underestimating people who stormed the U.S. Capitol building? Like, and obviously the Proud Boys didn't do it themselves, but we have seen, like, there's, like, like, like they said, there's evidence. Like, there are people who have been tracking the Proud Boys and, and their movements and their motivations, and they have deemed it an appropriate or a valid threat to the Canadian people or to the Canadian government. What what do you mean? Jessica, listen. <laughs> and Leah, listen. Yeah. You guys need to chill. Like, how how are we? We cannot underestimate this. This is scary. I am scared. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. I couldn't. That is the the NDP. That's why we need the NDP. Can we just? I'm gonna go on a, a little bit of a tangent. Do it. That's why at some point you need the left leaning party to just be like, nah, fam. Yep. Like. Our constituents are not trying to be nice about this. Our constituents aren't trying to like, you know, oh, well, maybe we'll wait until something real happens. Nah, it's unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. And don't show me the proud boy with the black wife. Nah. (laughs) Like this is, these people have threatened the, the, the lives of people who are challenging white supremacy. Like, anyway, yeah, fam. And plus, if the U.S. is cutting them off, telling them they can't take international flights or can't take flights into Washington, D.C., why wouldn't we put them on our terror list? Okay. They're already <laughs> on no-fly lists, fam. What are you talking? Anyway, I'm getting cheesed. <laughs> For the record, Canada's terror watch list was created in the aftermath of 9-11 and currently includes more than 50 terror groups. Many of them are Islamic terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, Hezbollah, and ISIL. Okay, I have to to jump in here. Yo, honestly, if you're talking about groups who are, who who can actually do something to Canada, Boko Haram doesn't care about Canada. Doesn't care. (laughs) Boko Haram took 500 girls or however many girls from northern Nigeria and just took them to the bush somewhere, fam. They're not, they, they can't come here, fam. Yes. So if you're talking about groups that can actually threaten Canada, take Boko Haram off the list too. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Like, what? You're right, patients. For, so for context, two far-right groups, Blood and Honor, an international neo-Nazi network, and its armed wing Combat 18 were added in June of 2019, and we spoke about that on episode 34. Mm-hmm. All that said, I just hope to see the list fill up with white supremacist groups in record time. Jumping to our next story, on episode 35, patients spoke about the righteous anger coming from the Black community over the feds declining to provide funding to numerous Black organizations because the organizations weren't sufficiently Black-led. In other words, they weren't Black enough, which was some bullshit. People like Velma Morgan of Operation Black Vote Canada, one of the well-known organizations that got the funding snub, use this as an example to illustrate why it's important that there are Black people in every level of decision-making in government so that when decisions like these are being made, there is cultural competency. Yep. And dumbass decisions like this don't get made in the first place. Right. Which speaks to an article I saw the other day, which highlighted that the government was looking to pull whatever strings they had to get more Black people in senior positions in the public service. 
It was probably sped up, if not launched outright, in response to the class action lawsuit launched by Black public servants in December that you also talked about, Patience. Mm-hmm. Treasury Board President Jean-Yves Duclos and his parliamentary secretary, Greg Fergus, who, by the way, leads the Parliamentary Black Caucus, spelled out their priorities for greater diversity, inclusion, and accessibility in the public service, basically saying they're going to build a new framework to get more diversity in our ranks, and they'll go as far as making changes to the Public Service Employment Act to do it. The government also launched the Center for Diversity and Inclusion, equipping it with $12 million in budget to do, among other things, lead new and innovative initiatives on diversity and inclusion. And they're saying much of the programming will be co-developed with the diverse communities it's intended to serve. They better. An example of programs they're developing include Mentorship Plus, which is meant to pair employees with executive mentors and sponsors, including giving access to development opportunities to build the skills to be an executive and as well, a federal speakers forum on diversity and inclusion. I don't know why the government's getting into speaking when they just left the Wee Scandal, but hey! <laughs> when you hear governments or people talk about governments needing to drive awareness on social issues like racism, that actually is a very good example. But have Black organizations got their funding, though? <laughs> I guess not. Ontario has been called out yet again for jipping Ontarians. According to a report from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, Doug Ford is still sitting on $6.4 billion in money that should be spent keeping us safe and solvent. What's my waiting for, fam? Doug, uh, the report did the Lord's work uncovering how much each level of government spent, broke down the proportion between the feds and the different provinces, and also highlighted which provinces were choosing to be Scrooges, and hold on to the money. To be clear, there are different provinces, not just Ontario. The results. The feds have done the lion's share of COVID spending, accounting for between 84 and 99% of all spending that seems to be coming from the provinces. Which is nice, because it's good to know Justin and Christian meant it when they said they had our backs. Okay. Literally, the feds are the ones giving 96% of every pandemic support dollar to people, and 94% of every dollar to businesses. Wow. In Ontario's case... The unspent money can't be spent directly. It has to be transferred to an authorized government program. And if it's not spent by the end of the fiscal year, come March, it'll go towards reducing Ontario's budget deficit. Something conservatives love to do. Oh. Mm-hmm. Something conservatives love to do, even if it means everyday Ontarians continue struggling to keep the lights on, have enough to eat, or have a warm home. Oh. For the record. A spokesperson for Ontario Finance Minister Peter Bethlen-Falvey said the CCPA report is based on, quote, months-old data, end quote, and presents a, quote, gross mischaracterization of reality, end quote. So, Doug, Wagwan, first it was the Financial Accountability Office saying this. Now it's the CCPA. Are you spending our money or not? Patience, what are your thoughts on this? That makes so, I mean, you just heard my, my bewilderment. I, I finally understand. Well, the connection, why, right? Yeah, now I understand why he's okay with men starving. It makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. He wants to make sure that during his next election or his next campaign, he can speak to the amount of, of money that he kind of ate out of our deficit. Mm-hmm. He wants to project this image of responsible governance but responsible governance is, is not about budgets. Nope. Responsible governance is about having a healthy and viable a populace. Like this is 
very in line with conservative governing though so i guess like why am i why am i that surprised i guess i'm surprised because we're in the middle of a global pandemic i i guess that's why like whatever i I mean we don't have any power right but Mm -hmm. all i know is that when ontario is giving money to you know the cities and and to, to to other groups they're saying that if you don't spend it we get it back. Can mm-hmm. can Justin do that? Can Justin and Christia figure out a way to be like, yo, here's 6.8 billion. If you don't spend it on pandemic relief by March 31st, run that back. I, I, I think I think that would be the only way that you'd get, you know, conservatives to govern the way that you want them to when at the end of the day, at the federal level, we have a liberal government that's trying to do the right thing and they're being blocked, fam. Mm-hmm. So on that note, it's 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 interest it's important to remember that um even in this pandemic when Justin was trying to say okay, we're going to send money to the provinces, provinces you got to spend it in a certain way to actually help people. Mm-hmm. And especially the conservative provinces were saying no, we want it with no strings attached. So it's important to like see what see that for what it is and why they're saying that. Right. Right. Um, For the record, Ontario's finance minister is saying the money is spent, and it may be true, but these guys have a track record of saying they'll spend money than not actually following through, just like when they decided to underspend by $3.5 billion in 2019-2020. They withheld money that could have prepared our ministries of health, education, post-secondary education, and children and social services, but here we are. The health ministry alone was jet almost $500 million by the end of the last fiscal year. So we've got to keep the pressure up on these guys to act in the interest of people who rely on that spending, i.e. every blood clot Ontarian. Jumping to the Canadian economy, Main Street beat Wall Street at its own game. So the world of finance saw a massive shakeup this week that lots of people are happy about. Stocks like GameStop, BlackBerry, and others shot through the roof after everyday investors like you and I manipulated the market in our favor as opposed to hedge fund billionaires. Allow me to explain. So this hedge fund called Melvin Capital wrote a dickhead article about how smart investors would short sell GameStop stock. For those who don't know, short selling is essentially buying stock from a broker, then selling said stock right away with the expectation that the stock price will be lower than when you sold it. You buy the stock back at that lower price to give back to your broker, but you keep the difference. You're basically gambling that a stock's price will drop. If it does, you make money. If it doesn't, you end up paying out money for however much it goes up. Well, that little article that Melvin wrote pissed off Wall Street bets, which is basically a Reddit thread of people who regularly gamble their life savings away on a single trade. Wall Street bets. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's basically what I hear. I I have no idea myself. Wall Street bets has a weird fascination as well with certain stocks. They call them meme stocks. Tesla is one, and GameStop is apparently on top of that list. So for reasons that only make sense to Wall Street bets, Melvin, (laughs) trying to short sell their meme, was a declaration of war. As a result, Wall Street bets decided to do a short squeeze. This is when you see people trying to short a stock. So you buy up that stock and you get a bunch of other people to buy it up with you. With each purchase, this price actually goes up. Since Melvin was trying to short the stock at a price of 20 bucks a share, Wall Street bets wanted to get in as high above that price as humanly possible. And how, how much do you think they got? Well, 
Do you remember how much they got it up to patients? Yeah, man. 450 US dollars. From 20? From 20 in a matter of weeks. Wow. Even with trading platforms like Robinhood trying to stop them before it dropped down to about 250. And like on Friday, for example, it was actually at 345. So it is still fluctuating. Wow. Melvin didn't disclose their losses, but we know from Business Insider that losses altogether tally up to about $19 billion. Wow. Talk about a transfer of wealth. Last week, we saw a bunch of rich people lose big at the hands of middle class and working class people they regularly treat like shit. And you know what? It's fucking lit. Yep. Litty. Moving on to blackity black black news this week, we really want to take some time to celebrate black excellence. Let's start off with Dr. Rosemary Moody. Actually, Curtis, do you want to start this one off for us? Being a, a Jamaican-born? Yeah, man. So I wanted to big up Jamaican-born Canadian Senator Dr. Rosemary Moody, who's being honored with the Order of Ontario, which acknowledges the outstanding achievements of individuals made in the province. She's being recognized for her contributions to the field of neonatology and pediatrics and her leader. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. ...to many health organizations and projects, including the development of Canada's largest affordable housing project for low-income women. Appointed by Trudeau to the Senate in 2018, she also continues to advocate for the well-being of women and children in Canada's Senate. Shoutouts to her. Well, well. Next, we also wanted to celebrate the Black excellence of Cicely Tyson. Mm. We lost Tyson this week, a 96-year-old legend who we're lucky to still have in our midst, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Tyson was born on December 19th in 1924. Mm. Curtis, I want you to think about what the world looked like at that time. I was just going to say my dad was born in 1936, so I, I think about it pretty pretty often. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. Man, <laughs> at that time, the world technically only had two free and independent Black countries, like, at all. It was Haiti and Ethiopia. Everyone else was somewhat occupied or, or um, dependent on, on a European nation. And look how the world has changed. Sicily was born to William and Theodosia Tyson, immigrants from the Caribbean island of Nevis. 
And even in her time, she was brave enough to refuse on-screen roles that demeaned Black women and reduced them to stereotypes. In 1963, she made history, becoming the first Black woman to have a recurring television role in a drama series on East Side, West Side. Remember what was happening in the world in 1963. This is in the middle of the civil rights movement. So while people were getting hosed down and chased by police dogs, she was literally on TV. You could find her on screen. In 1977, she was cast as Binta, the mother of Kunta Kente, in the Roots miniseries. And she was also inducted into the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame that year. I can only imagine what kind of perspective she would have been able to offer to those that were close to her as she died in 2021 after literally having seen the emancipation of Black people the world over. Rest in paradise, Cicely. The manifestation of grace on screen. For our third Black excellence story, I've been seeing this guy around and I, I just, I have to big up our newest young Black Canadian online sensation, Elaj Bald. Curtis, do you, do you know who he is? I, I don't, but I guess I should. Well, he's the Black figure skater who people have been watching doing his thing out on the ice. So his video has been shared by a number of, of different people, but perhaps most notably Jada Pinkett Smith. And the Calgary-based formerly competitive figure skater spent years training as a competitive skater, but he never fully felt like he belonged doing those European-based routines. So now on TikTok, he's putting a new spin on the sport, figure skating to, you know, rhythms and and vibes that are more Black, frankly. Yeah. (laughs) But the the half-Russian, half-Black 30-year-old has been infusing his culture and developing a new style of figure skating. And I'm just so proud of him. I'm so proud to see him doing his thing out on the ice, providing us with entertainment when we desperately need it, and just, you know, being as excellent as we know how to be. Now, moving out of Black excellence, I'm going to share a story, and I'm, to be fair with you, or to be honest with you, I'm not totally sure how I feel about this story, Curtis. Mm, Let's see if we can come to a conclusion by the end. Yeah. So this story has been kind of making the media circuit as of recent. A Black American woman has been living in Bali, Indonesia, throughout the pandemic, and was recently deported from the island for some weird stuff. It all started when Kristen Gray, a graphic designer from Los Angeles, started tweeting about the benefits of moving to Bali. In her tweets, she wrote about how she was able to live a, quote, elevated lifestyle, thanks to the cost of living in Indonesia. And in one of her tweets, she shared, quote, I was paying $1,300 a month, presumably, for my L.A. studio, and now I have a treehouse for $400, end quote. She also mentioned that the island was quite LGBTQ plus friendly, which was really important to Kristen, who was living there with her girlfriend. Now, Kristen wrote an ebook on her Bali experience, and in the book, she gives a lot of tips. She gives tips on how to enter Bali despite Indonesia's borders currently being closed to visitors due to the pandemic. Uh-huh. She also gives tips on how to avoid COVID-19 health and safety regulations. Uh-huh. And lastly, perhaps the worst. She gives tips on how to circumvent taxes. 
because the poor people in Indonesia don't need that tax money, right? X, 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 So did she get deported because of her tweets or her book? Short answer is is yes. Yeah, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, she violated the terms of the visitor tourist visa that she was on by working while she was in Indonesia, although she wasn't working for Indonesian currency. She was working for U.S. dollars, which lots of people have, have claimed is a loophole that lots of people have been taking advantage of since they don't have to work for Indonesian money. Hmm. But my question is... How many people are doing exactly what Kristen Gray is doing? They work online and are able to work online while traveling the world. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they are consultants who teach other people how to work online while traveling the world and share these you know, best kept secrets that are actually violations of the law. <laughs> we know that... Uh, quite a large group of Australian white men mm. leave Australia and do the same thing in the Bali circuit. So, I mean, is this a reason to deport someone? I get it. Like homegirl went a bit far by sharing how to circumvent taxes, but is that a reason to keep her in an immigration detention center and have her deported? To be honest, I'm not totally convinced. What are your thoughts on this, Curtis? I'm sorry. I th- she needs to be deported 100%. One hundred percent. If I like, if I am a local Indonesian, mm-hmm. and my country—I don't. I, quite frankly, I don't know what COVID is like in that country. But I'm just going to say, for argument's sake, if my country is perhaps struggling to manage COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And then here is this entitled American. Let's forget about the race for a second. At the end of the day, when you come from America, clearly in her position, you are entitled. Absolutely. So here's this entitled American signaling to other entitled Americans to effectively come to Indonesia and fuck it up. Because, I mean, let's like, okay, I know about Bali to an extent because Tamika went on a trip with her girls back in 2016 or 2017, whenever it was. The point Mm. is, I know that tourists are fucking the place up, Mm. right? At least environmentally, if not socially. Yeah. And here is this woman perpetuating that in a fucking global pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You need to be held accountable. And I do think that this is appropriate. Now, there is something to be said about why she was, in this case, it seems, you know, pinpointed when, as you pointed out, there are probably bare white people doing worse and getting away with it. Um, I mean, there's, there's the example. I didn't fully read the story, but I do know that there are some British men who went to Barbados, they were supposed to be quarantining. They uh, instead decided to go out and have sex parties. Oh my gosh. During a pandemic. On the one hand, we have to hold people accountable, but it's, it, you know, we have to hold people accountable across the board, man. Yeah, yeah. Can't pick and choose. Yeah. But no, still, she, she needs to be held accountable. I'm, I'm okay with that decision. What about you? I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess my, my sensitivity, and it's not a total, I do not disagree with you, Curtis. My, but my sensitivity is around the fact that, you know, in 2020, or rather for the last four years, Black Americans have been exploring other options, right? For a yeah. while, there, a lot of them were talking online about moving to Canada. A lot of them have been talking online about just 
moving to to Africa and, and moving to places where where they're able to live what 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 um, Kristen Gray called an elevated lifestyle. And, and I think that you know being black and a woman and a a, a member of the LGBTQ plus community that mm-hmm. she was targeted. And she was an easy person to deport. And I just wish that when we're looking at who are the examples of, of this, of, mm-hmm. of so, sorry, but being, being able to make money and then take that money to a country where that money is valued a lot more, because obviously mm-hmm. we know USD is worth way more in Bali. That's why she was able to live in a treehouse for $400 a month. That privilege, like Black Black Americans have really just come to, to recognize that privilege, right? And it, it, just, it feels a little sad to me that you know, the Australians that do it and the white people that do it, like they're, they're fine. Like no one's going to target them. Obviously she shouldn't have tweeted what she tweeted, like keep your head down and do your consulting in quiet. Um, But um, I don't know. I I think it it just touched me in a way that um, I I felt was a little uh, unfortunate, let's say not unfair, but unfortunate. I I actually, I really do agree with you. Like I I hear exactly where you're coming from, I think, which is again, like, she shouldn't have done it, but she's obviously being treated unfairly in this case. But hold on, did you just say right. that it's not unfair? Or? I, I, I don't think it's unfair. There, there's there's ways to think about it. Like, are we comp- are we looking at this from the perspective of the Indonesian, which is what you did, yeah. which makes it clear that this is fair. This is fair yeah. from the perspective of the Indonesian. I think it's unfortunate because from the perspective of white tourists who do the same thing and probably do it way worse. Yes. Um. There's they're not held to the same standard. Like Agreed. Agreed. I fully agree. Moving on to news from the world. This is pretty big news for me, I think. Joe Biden, or rather, President Biden, orders the DOJ to end private prison contracts as part of his racial equity push. So on Tuesday, Biden ordered the Department of Justice to end its reliance on private prisons, reverting to a policy that, well, first was adopted in the Obama administration when Biden was vice president, which Trump reversed. Here's a direct quote from the order that was passed on Tuesday. Quote, there is broad consensus that our current system of mass incarceration imposes significant costs and hardships on our society and communities and does not make us safer. To decrease incarceration levels, we must reduce profit-based incentives to incarcerate by phasing out the federal government's reliance on privately operated criminal detention facilities. Come on. (laughs) Come on, profit-based incentives to incarcerate. The fact that Trump reinstated this is like, I mean, it's not, nothing's wild with Trump, but like, really? Like, you really want to do this? Anyway, Biden's prison order won praise from the American Federation of Government Employees Council of Prison Locals, which represents 30,000 federal prison workers across the country, and from groups working to reduce mass incarceration of Blacks and other Americans. Holly Harris, the executive director of Justice Action Network, says, quote, eliminating the use of for-profit prisons is but a first step. Mm. but a step with implications beyond the small percentage of federal prisoners who are held in private prisons. Right. Another quote from her, everyone is missing that they're a big obstacle to reform because they give millions to elected officials who write our criminal law. Huh. Conflict of interest, shall we? Mm. 
The order does not at all end government contracts with private prisons because departments like Immigration and Customs Enforcement, who uh, who manages the the detention of thousands of undocumented immigrants, will continue to to run their private prisons in order to incarcerate. But everyone who is within the prison system, uh, so the DOJ, will have an end to their government contracts. Anyway, in separate executive orders last week, Biden overturned a Trump administration ban on diversity training in federal agencies. Yo, who bans diversity training? <laughs> like, is it that serious? Anyway, and disbanded, uh, Biden also disbanded a Trump-created historical commission that issued a report aiming to put a more positive spin on the nation's founders who were slave owners. <laughs> I feel so bad for Biden to have to like undo all of this garbage. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm happy that you pointed out um what that uh source said in the story that basically, you know, this this only affects eight percent of incarcerated people that are housed in private prisons. And you know, Sean King went even further to say that it it won't even affect all of them. Like most people of that eight percent will still remain in private prisons. But like Holly Harris said. It's a step in the right direction. Because uh, before I heard your full context, I was going to retort with what Sean King was saying, which is basically like, this is made to seem as if it's a big deal and great, but it's really just performative bullshit. But I think the context really matters as to what this is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Jump into questions for the audience. Today, we informed you that MPs unanimously voted to put the Proud Boys on Canada's terror watch list. We also shared concern from some in the legal and intelligence community about the, quote, politicization of the list. Do you think progressive entities are at risk of being put on the list, too? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drip To You. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 